So this episode, we're going to talk about money. Um, there's a lot of crossover between open source and religion when it comes to money, I think, because um, religion is this inherently decentralized concept. Like anyone can participate, anyone can leave. Um, there's no central person organizing whether you choose to be religious or not. But um, churches would be examples of a more, I think, centralized organization within religion that helps enable people to do more things with it. Um, so, yeah, I want to talk about when is money needed in a decentralized context and how do you know that money is necessary or not? Like, why can't people just practice religion by themselves and not have resources for anything? I mean, I guess I would say that churches are part of the decentralization, at least in a certain religion, right? It's like the local church. I mean, I guess it is centralized in that, you know, but there's it probably doesn't affect that many people um, or just that group within that you know, area or city, if, if you're thinking about like the overall picture. I guess fundamentally, if you think of churches as like, these are just places where certain groups of people who adhere to the same concept have decided to cluster, then I guess like churches can come up really organically. But there's some point where like a church wants to become more formalized, right? Like they, they register as an organization legally, um, they have a physical space that people meet in. And yeah, all those things require more resources, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And then I guess it's kind of like what I was saying before about like, uh, like what if what's the difference between like a house church, which is just a few people, maybe it isn't as formal. And then just, you know, maybe... Uh, and then the other extreme is like a mega church where they're like huge, like have, you know, they might have like lots or millions of dollars. So, yeah, I mean, like, what's the point at which a church has too much money or too many resources? And is that even really possible? I mean, you could say, like, I mean, depending on what you subscribe to, maybe a mega church is just maximizing its impact and reach, right? Whereas a much smaller church might only reach, I don't know, like, 30 people, maybe a mega church is able to spread its message to thousands of people um, and make thousands of people feel like they're part of something. Um, so if you're just looking at it in this like dollars and cents kind of way, it's like, well, why not just like grow and grow and grow? But then I think we kind of intuitively feel like somehow it goes against the spirit of what a spiritual practice should be, um, which I think is like really similar to open source in that like, I think to some extent people are, especially now, more comfortable with the idea of projects having more resources or funding or volunteers or whatever, but there's still some feeling or expectation that like, well, we don't want to get too big either. And same with like the nonprofit sector. And so like, I don't really know like where that, that line falls where suddenly it's somehow it just doesn't feel right anymore. Yeah, it's really hard to... I I don't think we'll ever really have like a like a rule on what that really is, or maybe it's like oh you like you kind of like you said you feel weird about it, but it's hard to be like oh that they're not doing it right or or they're taking too much. And I guess even if you say that, you'll feel bad about like calling people out. Yeah, I think 
with the mega churches, it, I guess, yeah, you're, really, you're saying it makes sense that like, you know, you can be more efficient with money if you're able to pull it together. But that's also why we have like issues with, you know, people not really understanding the like needs of the people that they serve. And it's too, in some sense, it might be too generalized. I think the advantage of having a small local church is that they understand the needs of, you know, the area that they're in. Um, and they can be more effective in that way because they're closer to the people versus like a huge organization. It's just not easy or maybe in some case impossible for them to really know what, you know, what's needed. I think it's a good question about like, where does, where, like, where should decentralization and centralization exist? Like at what tier of organization? So even a small local church, most of them ascribe to some concept, some branch or sect of that religion that is like a much higher thing, right? Like it's an, it might be a small church, but it's an Episcopal church or whatever, um, or a Protestant church. And so like in that sense, the, the concepts that you're describing to and that everyone is there, like everyone has this shared understanding of something that is like much, much bigger than that church. But the manifestation of it comes in this like very small organization. Um, whereas like we're talking about these sort of like very, very large churches where maybe there's maybe they're just like centralizing at the wrong level, where maybe churches themselves function better when they're smaller and more agile. But like they're still part of this like much bigger centralized concept, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that's true. That um it's not like they're all kind of isolated and I mean, definitely don't want that to be the case that, you know, churches either partner together or if they're, yeah, like you're saying in the same denomination or something like that, then uh, they are aligned and there are people, maybe the leaders that work together um, to talk about like high level, what's going on type of thing. Uh, but it's like the way you're effective is that um, you kind of sent out um, in where you're at um instead of yeah it's just i guess you don't have enough context into what's going on so you kind of have to like what you said have that level of centralization and decentralization yeah i wonder if there well i don't know do you know of any examples of like churches in the same physical location that kind of split off into two sac or two different churches um i am sure there are like a lot of examples of that but i don't I don't know any personally, but um, I guess I was just trying to think like, do they split off because there's a difference in beliefs or philosophies between those two churches or just because the church got like had too many members and they had to start a second chapter of it in the same area? Like what's the natural limiting factor in a church splitting off? Is it basically like when is the, when's the right time to fork? It's a good open source term. Yeah. Like, is it, is it because you have a difference in the way that you want to, carry on your operations or is it because there are just like too many people and you can't organize that many people efficiently in one church? So you're just talking about if a church uh, wants to split in certain us and why, I guess? Yeah. Not like denomination or anything, but just like the actual church where people go to. Like if you hit like a hundred people, do they ever split into 50? Cause it's just easier. I feel like they wouldn't unless there were a difference, like there were an actual split in community philosophy. Um, well, I, um, 
churches definitely will split in terms of the, I guess, philosophy or theology. Um, that I mean, but even that, it's not like it. It takes you know a long time for people to be like, okay, I'm willing to, because that's going to cause you know a lot of um, issues with the members and everything about it, right? So it's like a hard, uh, it's a difficult decision that you know that people might have to make, um, or if something like happens. Uh, like some event um, where it's like, okay, maybe one leader decides to do their own thing. Um, but it's also, it actually is kind of common for churches to split up if, well, quote unquote, it gets too big. Um, and maybe it depends on like the location. Um, like maybe if it's in New York and then it's, there's not enough space. Well, you know, you could decide a few things really. Like you could either figure out if you can expand the existing building um, or you should figure out if you can, you know, get a lease or a rent for a, a bigger building somewhere else and you have to move the whole congregation somewhere else. Um, or what you, like what we were saying is, yeah, you would actually split it up and have two places or, you know, multiple, I guess, quote unquote campuses or something. Yeah. Interesting thing about um, getting back to money stuff, I don't know how I went down this other track. <laughs> um, can you talk as much as you know, like what the fundraising process looks like in religion or like, especially the concept of tithing, but even besides tithing, like how do churches raise money for stuff they need to get done? Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. And I probably don't know that much, but um, so I guess first we can say that tithing, like the word comes from like um, an old term that basically means 10%. And so that's where we get the idea that people that, um, I guess, attend a local church should give 10% of their income to that church. Um, and it comes from um, the Old Testament. And I think the background is basically that if, let's say, like God appoints people to be, you know, staff on a church, like say pastors or different leaders, that kind of thing, that um, they can be focused on, you know, serving the people that go to that church and everyone else that is, you know, the lay people, they work and they can uh, basically pay part of their income to support those people. Um, and so that carries over uh, now where, there's no, like, maybe before it was, like, required, like, a law where it's, like, okay, you have to give this much of your money. Now it's more, it's the same thing, but it's not a rule where it's more about, like, it'll say something more about, like, you should have a cheerful, like, heart in giving and that there's no, like, oh, you have to give 10% kind of thing, but it's more give out of, you know, abundance that you've been given. Sort of, I mean, it's basically like a tax system. Right. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like, I, don't know, I find the other part interesting. There's like an implicit assumption there that some people pay and then like other people can enjoy and benefit it. Like people that casually come in because other people are paying. Right. Oh yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, not everyone is going to do that. Um, you know, one thing that people might suggest is that we talked about uh, church membership a few episodes ago and some churches will say like, if you're a member, then you're not like required either, but they highly suggest that you, um, you also give the tithe. And I think it goes back to like where we were talking about context before. It's like, if you're, you know, committed to a church 
you know, over a year's time, I think it's like, I don't see why you wouldn't want to um, support the thing that you're a part of. Right. And so um, I, I think it's not, you know, out of the question for you to be like, okay, I'm going to invest my time and also my money into this, in this community. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, there's really like no one who's giving to a church that doesn't have some personal stake in the church. Right. I mean, I'm trying to even imagine what that would be like a random sponsor or something. Um, so the way that would work would be more like maybe, you know, um, some, something happened, like maybe it was an environmental thing, like, you know, hurricane or something. And you might decide to donate to a different church. Maybe it's a sister church of yours. Um, and you have like a loose connection, but it's not like you go there or anything. Still a member of that same faith or right. broader community. I feel like it's so much harder to do that online because then like you can't see who your community is, right? Like with churches, you're like coming into a physical space on a regular basis and like forming, yeah, in-person connections. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like a problem that's more unique to open source and like a lot of other things around funding online is like, you don't actually really know who your users are, um, who your users are or who's benefiting from it, who's participating or anything until someone actually tries to like make a contribution or something. Um, and that's just like, it feels like, yeah, I don't know whether the solution is to try to make your community more visible somehow or reveal themselves or whether it's that maybe there just aren't, I don't know whether there's actually a way to like transfer what works with in-person communities to online communities. Um, yeah. I was thinking about this post that for us did like a while ago, I think it was for WebTorrent um, where he just like opened an issue and said, like, if you're using this, I think specifically if you're a company using this, um, just like post on this thread and got like a whole bunch of people that posted saying, Hey, our company uses this, which I thought was like a really simple, but like <laughs> great idea to like, I don't know if you're a project and you don't know which companies are using you, why not just ask and see who responds. Um, and I think he used that to help inform like where to get sponsorships for his work. Yeah, that makes sense. That's why a lot of open source projects, we have that users page um, for like branding or whatever. It's funny because I remember joking before, like technically that page is a good, like we could rename that page to say all the companies that don't pay us money. Um, but, <laughs> but that would not be very nice. Yeah, it wouldn't be great. Um, no, I think that's, uh, there's so much to say there. <laughs> Um, I, I think there's, that's kind of an issue even with in church too, where like, you know, they're trying to embrace technology, but then there might not be a lot of people that are like, I guess, in, I guess the leadership of the church that understand technology well. And then there may be like, oh, some people are like, oh, we got to like, you know, add online giving. Other people are like, no, that kind of takes away from the giving because you want to feel like, kind of like how like, now we have like digital Bibles and then there's a physical one. And then there's something about reading a physical book that's different from the digital one and like giving it at your check or your money. It's like that physical act um, says something differently than just like kind of what if you did like that automated, like every month I give this much and you kind of forget about it. Um, and that kind of defeats the purpose where the point of the tithing is to help people, but it's also to help yourself where you're like, 
it's an opportunity for you to kind of act out that belief that you know your money is not yours. Um, say in, in in the sense of church, that's like it's God's money. Then even though all of it is His, it, to give that act is a way for t- you telling yourself that you actually believe that. How do they collect the money if it's not online? Is it like an in person check? Yeah. Really? Um, wait. So so um, this is probably you know when when you attend the church, there's always like there's like a worship service and a sermon, and then in some sometime in between they do that the whole like offering um offertory uh where they they have like some kind of i don't know but like the plate yeah whatever it is a plate or a bag or something like that um and then you have your welcoming team that kind of is there and then you kind of pass it down the aisles kind of thing um <laughs> which is always interesting because i think people have a lot of opinions on how that works but yeah that's every week you can you know give money through that um, that's not like the major source of funding though, right? I mean, like if you're giving 10% of your income, you're not putting that on a plate. Oh, uh, well, yeah, that's where you would put in a check. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's pretty normal. <laughs> just picturing these like churches laundering, just like massive amounts of cash and checks. Well, that's the thing. I think most people don't do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would be curious for a church that I'm sure there are churches that do online giving or mm-hmm. that is like a regular subscription. So you don't have to think about it or whatever. I'm sure it would unlock like more people that are comfortable with giving in that way versus in person, but it would just be really different. I like your analogy about just like digital versus physical books also. Cause I just switched back to side tangent. I just switched back to like physical books for the most part um, after using Kindle for a few years. And I can't like put my finger on why like, the Kindle has done everything right. It's like, I can't point to something that I don't, <laughs> but it's just like, it's just not the same as holding a physical book. And maybe like people like me will eventually die off and everyone will use Kindles, but like there is just something irreplaceable about it. So um, yeah, oh. it's yeah. like <laughs> fundraising. I don't think that's true. I don't know if like our kind of people will ever die off. I kind of feel like every time we add a new medium, it like books, you know, they don't really go away. And I feel like even if, you know, you're used to like digital, you always go back to physical for some reason. I think it's maybe, you know, we've kind of um, got caught up in this whole, like everything is about like your mental state and psychology and you forget like we're actually people in a body and that actually affects like how we perceive the world. Um, And so like that sense of physical touch really means something. Um, Yeah. Maybe. It's interesting to think about. Um, I, there was like a dad who was telling me that, like, apparently among kids right now, like, super tactile clothing is like all the rage. Like, things that are like really oh. and fluffy and like things you can touch. And like, his hypothesis was because like people aren't like touching enough in real life, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's really turned out. But, and more, more unconfirmed things I've heard. Uh, that like apparently bookstores and physical book sales are like way up in our generation, which I guess speaks to the idea that people want physical books for whatever reason. So yeah, maybe they're not going to die off. Um, but you're right. Like we kind of underestimate the, we are like human beings and maybe there's sort of like a backlash response where like you do want to have more physical things um, in your life. And maybe yeah. it will be one of those things too, like physical, physical sense of community. 
Yeah, I think it'll be interesting when we get to like VR and AR and all that, because like it kind of loses the sense of touch. Um, yeah, you're but, really relying on visual and your ears. I mean, there's some, I guess, have the haptic feedback, but yeah, it's very, it's not very tactile at all. I, it kind of reminds me of, I think I was talking with someone and they were talking about how like all the new cars, they have touchscreens for all the buttons, but then a lot of uh, older folks, they can't like, they have this muscle memory with the buttons on the car. Like how do you turn on the AC and all that stuff? But now it's all just a screen and they have lost like the memory of like where things are. Cause like it could be anywhere on the screen and maybe you have a UI update and then now everything's different again. Uh, that'd be so disorienting. I feel like such a Luddite saying that, but that would be very disorienting. Also, I don't drive. So maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I don't drive anymore too. <laughs> um, okay. Going back to fundraising stuff. Um, I was thinking about like, like why do people give in a, church context versus why would someone give in an open source context and like yeah like what are what are they looking for what do they care about and it seems like in a church context like there's just this it's sort of like a more deeply ingrained cultural obligation almost that like you're doing this because there's already an expectation that that's what you do. Like, I think most people, if you've been to like one church service, you're familiar with the idea of like an offering being passed around. And like, that's kind of just like a thing you do. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, I think something that I am afraid of with um, open source sustainability stuff is that people that are giving out of this sense of like charity, because that's never anything. I, I never wanted it to really like be about that. <laughs> like I want it to be that you're doing this because you rely on it and you should, but I guess there's like a really fine line between like, are you doing this because you feel bad for the project? Because I think that just like, you know, there's only an upper limit to how much money people are going to give when they're doing it out of this sense of like mm -hmm. altruism. Um, but it's different to do it. If you feel like, well, this is just what I do like with tithing. I mean, if, if 10% is the expectation, then like, that's a very high percent. Um, but it's just like a thing that is kind of like, it's knowledge that is just sort of like known and distributed and like understood. Um, and so, yeah, I guess like, I'm wondering like, what are the actual takeaways for open source around like, what does that message look like? Um, like if, if the funders are people that are coming from your community, they're people that like maybe companies that use or rely on your project, like why would you ideally want them to be giving or not? And I'm particularly interested in your views on this, uh, given that Babel, like people give for lots of different reasons, I'm sure. I mean, even with like the church setting, like there's a huge expectation. Um, and I think that would be great if we had that in open source, because clearly it's not there. And maybe now it's like kind of getting there where it, at least people are like, oh, open source projects are actually getting money, even though it's like basically nothing. Uh, but then it also, it kind of goes like in the, in, a, in the other way for church where it's like, because there's an expectation, people do it out of obligation and we don't want to like guilt people into like giving um, which kind of like it is about like you want to give because not because like it's a good idea or you feel bad but like no this is like important to me and I think that should be the same mindset in open source like um, how, do you, uh, how do you encourage someone to do that for the like quote unquote right reasons 
Um, yeah, I think that's really challenging. I feel like that is kind of almost a almost like a lifelong journey that you have to go on. It's the same thing with church itself. Like people think, like, oh, if I you know go to church or if I give money or like do good things that like somehow I'm like, it's good. Right. And I think then you're expecting something out of giving. Um, and you kind of have to, I know it might be different than what you think, but like giving out of like not expecting anything back, but knowing that um, the process of doing that will, you'll receive back. It's kind of like you have to do it in faith in a way. Um it's hard because there's always that struggle between like knowing like you're doing the right thing and then not expecting anything out of it. Like you should like, even in work, like we should strive to be the best person that we can be. Um, but then we can't derive our identity from and our worth from that, the outcome of that work. And I basically talked about that in my talk. It's like, you know, you can pour your life out in doing open source and then people don't appreciate you. And then now you suddenly feel like you're not worthy anymore. And I guess it's the same with giving. It's like if you give expecting all this stuff and then say, you know, you gave all this money to open source and then they didn't like release the thing in the time that you expected. And now you start feeling like, like why now they owe you. Um, Well, that's why it's different in open source. Cause I mean, like you have companies that are relying on this for their work, right? Like it is, it is fundamentally just a different kind of relationship than a spiritual private practice. Um, and so I guess, yeah, I'm wondering like long-term if we see projects being well supported financially when they need it, um, is it going to look, is that going to happen because projects have gotten good at, you know, building this relationship with companies and kind of suggesting that like, your participation in this is a way for you to be closer to the project. Like, I think that's what Sean Larkin has done really well with Webpack of like, they have office hours and like companies see these like really tangible benefits to giving. And that's why they keep giving. Um, Or is it going to just kind of be this, you know, it will take years and years to kind of have this be ingrained, but the idea that maybe it's just a thing that you do the same way that like tithing is something that you do Mm. because you're not expecting anything out of it but you're doing it because it's just the right thing to do. But it's like very hard for me to think of like a company doing that because I don't know, like, I mean, it's hard enough to justify sponsorships even when there are, you know, tangible tactical benefits. Um, It's a lot harder. You can't really go to your boss and say like, can we add this line item to our budget? Because it's just kind of what we do. Maybe, maybe for certain companies, but um, and maybe just different messages will appeal to different kinds of funders, but to me, those are like two kind of distinct visions. And I'm wondering how much can it really take from like, uh, from religion in that sense. Right. Um, no, I think what Sean does is, seems to be the way to go. Like, um, I don't know if, like, if they don't see anything from it, um, then at some point someone's going to question, you know, like they look at the accounting, they're like, why are we giving this for nothing back? Um, and it's as much as we would like to say like, oh, we're like investing in the future or whatever, like no one's going to believe that. And so, um, yeah, creating, like being creative with the kinds of things that you kind of offer back, um, helps 
Although, in another way, like, I don't know if we can ever really, like, put, like, a monetary factor on things where it's like, oh, like, say, a lot of people sponsor open source for marketing and, like, hiring. And it's hard to measure, like, oh, we gave to this project and somehow that led to, like, X people. Unless you said, like, oh, how'd you find out? And they're like, oh, it's because I saw it on the website or something. Right. Uh That's hard for a lot of marketing budgets even outside of open source. Right. And so it's like, you know, and we can say things like, oh, you sponsored a conference for like X thousand dollars. And instead you could just donate to this open source project and get the same visibility or something. And, you know, John does a lot of interesting things, not just the office hours, but like, <laughs> like we could even like for the next Babel 7 release, if I, if we wanted to, you find a company and it's like, we're going to name this release after yours or your company. And then now you get a lot of like buzz or branding. Like- I don't really want to do that, but <laughs> Yeah. A really thing I wanted to touch on was like uh, people in a church that are giving not just money, but giving their time. Like you mentioned that you volunteer on the welcoming committee at your church. Uh, mm-hmm. And like, and it's not even, yeah, I don't even volunteer is the right word. Like, I mean, you're participating in the production of this whole thing in a very serious way. And yeah, like for people that want to give back to a church, like do they face this either or question of like, do I give my money or do I give my time? Cause that seems really similar to me with open source of like, on the one hand, it's sometimes it's like, you know, encouraging companies to give money to projects, but then it's also like your engineers should also donate their time or, you know, give back to projects during work hours or things like that. So it seems like two similar it's two kinds of resources that someone else can give back to a project. And- yeah, I think they're very similar. Um, I guess for church, it, I would say it is a and, like it should be both. Um, I don't know if we can expect that from random people in open source. Um, no, I think like in the church, everyone is actually called to serve in some way. Um, and we would say that like God has given everyone we'd say spiritual gifts and, you know, maybe it's teaching or, you know, welcoming or hospitality or giving money, all those different ways that people can help. Um, We encourage everyone to serve. And, you know, I don't know if it's that different from open source too. Like I think everyone should be able to, it doesn't mean we can expect that to happen, um, but it doesn't mean we don't try uh, to incorporate that. And even so, (laughs) Uh, funnyly enough, this year I like finally decided to like be a quote unquote leader for our like Bible study family group. Um, and it took me a really long time to want to say okay to this. Um, you know, there's like all this responsibility and the burden, and I figured that if you know if I'm already kind of doing this in my regular work with open source, I didn't intend to be a leader. Um, but here it's like, it's not that different. I feel like I can learn a lot from both. Um, and I think in the same way, I don't know, it's, we want to encourage people to like be involved in the project because, you know, they can give us all this money, but in the end, I'm just one person and there's no way for me to handle all the kind of responsibility and things that we could be doing. Um, and I think it's a, a way for people to step up and I think it calls for leaders to, learn how to, you know, like delegate and to inspire people to like be a part of it, knowing that they are capable of 
giving back. Hmm. That's cool. I like this idea of like money and time being an and and not an or thing. Cause it is true in both directions. I think I'd mostly thought of it in the direction of if people give a lot of time, but there isn't enough money, like, well, you still need money for some things that time just can't make up for. Uh, but it definitely goes in the other direction too. Of If you had all the money in the world, but you're one person, like that's also like, you just can't even deliver on all the things you want to do. So you need other people to help out. Yeah. And I mean, I think time is in my, well, at least they're open source. I feel like that's way better than um, money because it's like, not like you don't necessarily have to work on like open source full time. Like if, you know, if we had enough volunteers where like everything just worked, yeah, you wouldn't even need money because you're getting money from somewhere else. But I do think kind of similar to a church where they have like, like a pastor or whatever, and they, um, they're paid full time to manage this organization. I think it is great that a project could have someone full time because you need someone to be thinking about like division and all that stuff. Right. And I think it's hard to do that when you're just trying to juggle all these things in your life. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I think uh, we talked about uh, church health um, and project health a while ago. And just a very basic point is that, the way that money is related to that is that the more people that attend, the more money that you might potentially get because more people might tithe. And so people like to use like the numbers in church growth to signify whether a church is doing well, even though that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Cause I could say like, same with open source, like we raise a lot of money. Uh, that doesn't mean we're doing well because maybe that person's burnt out. They don't know what to do with the money or they don't know how to like find people to, um, I guess, quote unquote, hire to help. Is the equivalent, I guess, being able to show it's not necessarily number of contributors, but it's number of users to a project? Uh, for like attendance, I suppose. Yeah, is an attendant a contributor or a user? Um, well, for them, it's more that because there's more people, more people will give back. So that would be probably like how many companies are giving back. Yeah. Cause I think number of people helping is more like burden in some sense. Right. Um, I don't know if we touched on this, but like, yeah, what, what happens when you have money, um, and how are you supposed to use it? Um, in, in church, like we use the word stewarding, right? It's like, um, when you do have money, you can, you know, you know, be generous and give it away and, and help other people, or you can kind of waste it and like squander it. Um, I think one of the hardest things to do is when you do have money, whether it's personally or in church or in open source, it's like making sure that you use it well. And the word stewarding, I think is great because it's saying, at least in a church setting, um, it's saying that that money is not yours and it's been given to you. Um, and so you have like a responsibility to, um, use it well. There's definitely a concern with that in nonprofits, including some tech nonprofits where, like, I know that there's been criticisms of Wikipedia doing their annual campaign. And I don't know how true this is or not. I should probably stop sharing things on this podcast that <laughs> I don't know are really that true or not. But I just heard from multiple people that they at least felt like 
well, like what is Wikipedia really doing with my money? Like there's not that much product development, uh, but they do this huge fundraising campaign every year. And um, yeah, like it, I think it is a question of, like, I think that's where those sort of like health metrics you're talking about can come into conflict where there are just so many people that use Wikipedia that raising money at this point, I'm sure is just like trivial for them, even though they do the whole, like, you know, blacking out your page and Jimmy Wells' face on it and everything. In the end, I think it's probably not that hard for them to raise the money they need just because there's like a lot of people that go to it. Although I think Google is cutting into that traffic now. But anyway, yeah. I think it's funny. Like I just, I just, I just saw that today. Like I was on Wikipedia. And I was like, wow, this whole page of telling me to donate. <laughs> yeah. I guess it goes into that. Yeah, I think some people do because it's just like such a feel good thing of like, well, yeah, I love Wikipedia. It's this random thing, and it seems like it's just kind of run by volunteers or something. Um, but they end up having like a pretty large budget, and maybe it's larger than they need. But how do they like? How should like? It would also just be weird to say, oh, we're not going to raise money if we don't. Like we're going to only raise a finite set of money, right? Because like more money is more freedom to be able to plan ahead or do things that you might want to, I don't know, just gives you more options. Um, so it's also hard for me to imagine something like Wikipedia saying, like we're only going to raise like a million dollars this year instead of like 10 million or whatever it is. Um, like why would you want to, why would you turn away money if so many people are willing to give it to you? And I think that's like a hard thing to know how to regulate. Yeah, and even just going into like kind of the ethics of fundraising and asking, where I mean, even now people complain that in open source, like for say npm, you have that post install message where like every time you install at the bottom, it says like, "Hey, you should donate to our Patreon or Open Collective." And like if every open source project did that, then you like get spammed with like all this stuff. And so I did not decide to do that for our project, um, but I can see that other people feel like they have to. This is a huge controversy in um, Bundler. I don't know if you had followed that, but like, they're just like, I think there are just two different factions within the Ruby slash Rails community of people who think that kind of fundraising makes sense and people that don't. Um, some of that kind of bubbled to the surface publicly, but um, they had an install message that I guess like the criticism was that it had sort of like inflated the problem in ways that weren't totally accurate or something like that. But I think there was also just a criticism of you shouldn't have an install message because tons of people work on this that aren't getting directly paid by these donations to do it. Um, there are a lot of, like, I think that that is sort of the ethical problem when you have volunteers working on your organization where like some people are getting paid, but like, what if I feel like I should get paid and I'm just contributing for free and now I don't want to, cause I can see that this maintainer over here gets paid to work on it. Um, and that can be like, yeah, just really difficult. Hmm. That's really interesting because like, I feel like at, um, in a church setting, I don't, I think anyone would feel that way. Right. It's like, we're all volunteering our time, but we're definitely not expecting to get paid. Um, we, I wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't want to have that responsibility anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I wonder, like, I think it makes it even more complicated in open source that, so you have people that are like completely volunteers, like, you know, they just kind of do it because they feel like it. There are people that are getting, that work at a company that allows them to work on open source, which is kind of different. And then there are people that might get funded independently to work on the project. And so like, I'm guessing a lot of the criticism also comes from employees who are like, they're being paid full time somehow to work on this thing. But it's like, yeah, but not everyone has that same situation as you where like, I don't know. 
I think the problem lies when sometimes you're not just because you're not being paid to work on the project by the project doesn't mean you're not being paid somehow to work on the project. And like, you're not a volunteer. If in my view, you're not a volunteer. If you're a company employee and your company is like essentially encouraging you to work on it all day long, like that doesn't make you a volunteer that that just means you have a corporate patron. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I kind of look side-eyed at people that are criticizing fundraising efforts in that way. Cause it's like, I don't know, you're in a very special situation that allows you to do that. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> As someone that doesn't work in a company, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you got feels on that. So yeah, it makes the whole fundraising thing hard because it's like, well, who are you fundraising for? Are you fundraising for yourself? And are you like using the project as a platform to raise money for yourself? And is that okay or not? And yeah, somehow this has developed into more open source things than church things. But <laughs> It's hard to talk about money without it being very negative because. Yeah, well, it involves a lot of. Yeah, it just involves a lot of. It's it's because it's like quantifying a thing that you didn't think about quantifying beforehand. I think, <laughs> or I think that's what makes it especially hard in um, stuff like open source or religion, where. Yeah, everything. Maybe you didn't come into it thinking about money at all. I mean, you probably didn't because it's not like you can make a ton of money in either of these situations. Uh, yeah, once once you do have different reasons for being in it, or you just need to like sustain the work that you're doing, then it just leads to a lot of difficult conversations. Yeah, it's just a lot of pressure to like you want to sustain yourself, but then you're like, well, should I limit how much that I make, and all those questions, and feeling guilty almost. I felt like that a lot when you know I was trying to raise money on Patreon, where it's like you feel bad that like people are giving you money, but you should feel free, but you you don't. You almost feel trapped mm. um, and maybe you want to feel like you need to give more or like do more uh, because they're giving you money um, so that I think like the incentive of like all the different reward systems isn't necessarily great either yeah. um, I've heard that from people that are hired by companies to contribute also where it it in some cases it works really well and in other cases it's like well, suddenly this thing that I could choose to work on or not, I now feel like I have this obligation to work on. Um, so yeah, I think it's hard for everyone. Yeah. I feel like um, now I, I feel more like, I don't know what words, not strongly, but like I understand that there are people that like, I, I think we all have this dream of doing open source full time, but um, now that yeah, I'm actually living it, it's like, yeah, I don't think it's for everyone. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that just like doing it for fun and they wouldn't want it to, to worry about all this, you know, stuff that they have to deal with. Um, and I think if we can encourage people to like be able to work on open source in the ways that they are able to, you know, maybe they can only do an hour a day, but they see like all these people doing it full time. They're like, Oh, I'm not actually doing open source. Um, I think we should figure out how to like showcase the different ways that you can contribute. Something I came to realize a while ago that has just made me so much less angsty about all of this is just accepting that like there are going to be so many different ways for people to do a thing that they like to do. And there's never going to be this like one correct path that will solve everything for everyone because everyone's different. Everyone has different motivations. Um, and you could say the same about religion too, right? Like be like spiritual, but not religious. You can like practice privately and not go to a church at all. Some people want to be really, really active in church. Like none of that is like right or wrong. It's just like different people have different behaviors and 
the, the goal is just to give people lots of different options and to know what their options are, but not to force people to choose one thing or another. Yeah, going back to evangelism. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find us on Twitter at LeftPad or Nyafia or on our website, hopeandsource.com.